Marketa is a platform for companies to build card products like Visa and MasterCard card products. They could be physical plastic cards, tokenized cards, virtual cards. Typically, you would go to a bank to get a card. And what Marketa did was allowed developers to come to our platform and build card products that are built for a very specific purpose. We power companies that buy now pay later space like Afterpay, Affirm, Klarna. We're very well known for powering Square and companies use our technology because they want to build purpose-built solutions for their businesses. Hi everyone, Julie Verhage Greenberg here with your Touch Time podcast from FinTech Today where we talk about all things FinTech and in this episode I am joined by Jason Gardner, founder and CEO of Marketa, a company in our space that recently made its public debut on the NASDAQ. And Jason, you mentioned in our little time together before we started recording that this is actually the first interview you've done as a public company. So I'm lucky to have you here today. How are you? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for having me, Julie. Um, Yeah, it's, it's pretty exciting times for Marketa. We went public we see a uh, a month and eleven days ago, so uh, it's been it's been great. I've actually have really enjoyed it. Part of it is just getting back to running a business day to day versus running an IPO process. Now, any uh, founders that are listening to this that are debating going public, this is the place. Once you go public, this is where you do your first interview from now. <laughs> that, we're just we're starting that trend. Uh, but Marketa is one that if there is someone that is semi-familiar with fintech but not super familiar with fintech, they might not know exactly what you guys do, but there's a very good chance that they have used something powered by you guys before. So let's do a little bit of a, a background on what exactly Marketa does and some of the big companies that you guys have worked with that a number of our listeners have used before. Yes, thank you. So Marketa is a platform for companies to build card products like Visa and MasterCard card products. They could be physical plastic cards. They can be tokenized cards to fit into, say, Apple Pay or Google Pay or Samsung Pay. Uh, They could be virtual cards, probably similar to the ones you might have in your wallets or purses that you use. Uh, They are powered by what are called issuer processors, and they've been around for many, many decades. What Marketa did was kind of flip the model on its head. So typically you would go to a bank to get a card uh, and this could be anything, a commercial use case, consumer use case. And uh, it's just like an assembly line. You would get the same card that every other company had. What Marketa did was allowed developers, builders to come to our platform using very well-documented APIs and build card products that are built for a very specific purpose. For, For example, uh, DoorDash, uh, before Marketa, would just give a, a, a Dasher a, a prepaid card. Uh, they would go pick up the order. They would potentially pick up the wrong order. They would use the card for something else, like buying themselves lunch or buying themselves dinner. Uh, using our technology in a specific uh, feature we call Jitter Just In Time. Uh, so, Julie, you place an order on the driver. I say, I'm going to pick it up. Now, that order is tied to my card. I drive to the restaurant. Uh, I walk in. Uh, I swipe the card, the point of sale generates a message that's sent off to us, and then we deliver that to DoorDash. DoorDash applies very specific data to make sure you're picking up the right order at the right time for the right amount, making sure that I'm on shift. Uh, If all of that is true, then the transaction is authorized, uh, sent back to Marketa, and then sent back to the point of sale. 
Uh, I grab your order, leave the restaurant, and then my card goes into a terminal state waiting for the next time I'm going to choose the order. Uh, we do that uh, hundreds of thousands of times a day for all kinds of companies in the on-demand delivery space. We power uh, companies in the buy now, pay later space like Afterpay, Affirm, Klarna. Uh, we're very well known for, for powering Square and their uh, consumer products, both the cash card and the Square card on the merchant side. And, and again, companies use our technology uh, because they want to build purpose-built uh, uh, solutions for their businesses. And obviously, cards uh, is a global phenomenon used around the world, uh, whether online or offline. And companies can solve uh, their issues uh, at scale using our technology. Now, you perhaps have a better look than many companies on just how much fintech has changed since you guys were founded, I believe in 2010. Yes. Uh, talk to me a little bit about what the landscape was like back then when fintech wasn't even really a word. Um, I forget what year exactly it became a phrase. I started covering fintech in like 2016, I think, and it was fairly new. So you guys are one of the OGs in the space and just how Marketa evolved with that. Because as you guys are you know, successful as a public company now, it wasn't always just this clear shot like, oh, this is totally an IPO company, like they're doing great. Like any startup, there were a lot of bumps along the way as well. Oh yeah, back in 2010, uh, nobody even knew what we were talking about. Issuing and processing was just as foreign as FinTech. And I think, I don't know who coined the, the, the phrase FinTech, I think saying financial technology uh, was just too much of a mouthful. So we broke that down to fintech. <laughs> but back in 2010, you're right, it, it wasn't a word. Um, nobody was focusing on it. Um, I remember doing this, the Sand Hill, Hill Road shuffle and VC saying to me, um, you know, Visa is going to crush you guys. And I explained, no, you know, Visa is like a railroad. Think of us as like a shiny new locomotive. And you know, our customers are the cars that we're pulling behind. We just help them build better solutions. And it was very foreign. But you think about many of the, call it fintech companies back in 2010 or 2009 uh, that were being built. You then think about APIs or application program interfaces. And us believing back then that the future was going to be uh, really builder-driven or developer-driven, that they needed to uh, see really well-documented APIs and go build these products. So we had this prescience back in 2010 that we knew that fintech was going to become the core of every business. And it is today. I mean, all businesses run off of commerce, whether online or offline. And cards is a big, uh, big piece of that. So back then, in the very early days, was we built our own card using, you know, we built a, a solution on top of our own APIs, kind of like eat your, eat your own dog food to prove that the system worked. Uh, we then had uh, Facebook called us and wanted to build a very specific card called the Facebook card. I think that was announced back in 2012. Uh, they built that using our technology. Uh, and then people began to wake up to the fact that, well, companies are actually building their own card products now. And then 2014, we opened up the API. And in 2015 was when issuing processing came to the forefront. And companies were realizing that they didn't have to go to uh, either a large financial institution or a small bank to get a product that looks like everybody else's. They could now purpose-built their own to go solve these problems they had at scale. And then that's when we saw the not only fintech beginning to gain a tremendous amount of traction, but Marketa Solutions, uh, modern card issuing, as we as we coined it, uh, begin to gain traction within uh, within starting with the tech world or commerce disruptors, as we like to refer to them, and then growing out from there. 
Now, what are some things, and this is something that Ian and I are going through and any early stage startup especially goes through, what are some products that you launched that didn't really work as well? And what are some other things that you tried that you're like, well, like this might work and it just, it took off even more so than what you hoped it would? Yeah, it's, it's never, it's never a perfect equation. And I think you, I'm sure you've experienced this, you know, over your years and, uh, in news, the word pivot is is like a negative. It's not. It's like you're pivoting all the time, and it's mm-hmm. because you have all of this data coming in, and you're making very well informed decisions about what you want to go do, and it's adding features, it's deleting features. So in the beginning, the Marquetta car, the first car we built, was not successful, but we learned a lot about how it works out in the wild. You know, what are we going to experience at the point of sale? The point of sale and the payment card in your system itself is enormously complex uh, and, and it, it is getting even more complex. We then found in 2014 when we opened up the API and we were like, come one, come all, that uh, we had to operationalize the business. Um, it's not you sort of fall into this trap sometimes that, hey, if I, if I build really, really well documented APIs, nobody needs to talk to me. But we found that issuing and processing itself was a foreign entity. People didn't know that, you know, what, what a card load was. A card load is when you're loading money on the card, but we assumed, you know, because you're so close to it all, that everyone's just going to understand the sort of the, the glossary or the definitions of what issuing and processing is. And we found that that just simply was not the case. So uh, we had to pull back and really become hyper-focused on specific verticals that we wanted to go after and then obviously build a business in those verticals or many verticals over time versus being this uh, big come one, come all. And then uh, obviously there's there's a myriad of problems, issues, uh, speed bumps, walls um, that you run into in building a business. And, and ours is quite unique because the issuing processing world is so complex. What? So you talked about you've actually enjoyed being a public company CEO for the last month and a half or so that you guys have been public. Um, what have been some of the big changes in your day to day, just given that you are a public company now? Well, it's simply just getting back and running the business. You know, having an IPO process is, is a very long journey. Uh, first it's, it's a, it's a personal decision. You know, I needed to make a decision that I wanted to take the company public as the CEO and, and founder. Then all of the processes and work and individuals and resources and capital all becomes really focused on that process while you're day to day being a CEO and running this IPO process at the exact same time. It's it's an extraordinary amount of work, not only for me, but uh, many, many people within the company. So once the event happens, and keep in mind, the IPO is is a one day event. You're now a public company. We spent 18 months building an extraordinary amount of discipline into getting the company ready to, to, for IPO. Now I'm back to running the business again on a day-to-day basis, which is what I love to do. So now it's, I can't remember almost what it was like before the IPO process. <laughs> and now that, now that we're a public company, I'm back to being a CEO and founder again and running a business and I've just fallen back in, in love with that again. So um, I'm, I'm actually really enjoying myself and excited about what uh, what's next. 
Yeah, it's like being a founder, taking an 18-month hiatus to work on something else that's really big, and then coming back and being a founder again. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's, you're, you're working on something big and being a founder at the same time. But it's, yeah. you know, like anything, it's hard to be a master of many. Uh, and I like to really focus on, I, I love building products. So, so that is what I'm doing, on, doing right now while, uh, you know, focusing on strategy and operations within the business. And, and uh, I just, I love it. So you guys obviously went on a road show and everything. Talk to me a little bit about how that was different versus going on different tours to raise VC funding. Um, just because you're you're focused more on this more so public market investor versus a private market investor that you'd been so accustomed to in the uh, funding rounds that you'd done since you guys were founded. Yeah, we did uh, all the way through a Series E one. Uh, was our final final private round. Uh, raising money in the VC world is very, very different, uh, especially different today. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm investing in companies where, you know, it's a, a, it's a $90 million uh, uh, Series A. It's like... That's a it, small pre-seed it's, series. It's crazy. <laughs> I mean, Series B companies are doing $100 million rounds. I mean, the mm -hmm. world has changed significantly. So... When you're doing that, you know, you're, you could meet with, it could be 10 people, 30 people, 50 people, 100 people in the VC world before someone says, yes, you know, I'm, I'm interested, let's go to the next step. So um, the VC process is you're convincing people to invest in, in your company. Once you get a term sheet and sign it, they're finding a reason not to invest. You know, they're, they're looking in every little, under every single rock to make sure that this is a sound investment because VCs, individual VCs and individuals within those VCs, you know, are making maybe 20 to 30 investments in their lifetime. So I, I have an enormous amount of respect for that, that, you know, they need to make very targeted investments. This is about their career. I consider them my business partners as much as, as, as the people within the, in the company. And then the roadshow and going public is, you know, you've delivered the S1 to the world. You know, they already have been following you for many years. They know the success that you had, they know about your business, then you're kind of, you know, opening up the kimono and they see everything about the business, like how you're performing and your strategy and the people and all, all kinds of things. So you are in that roadshow, which by the way, I loved the roadshow, loved it. I could have gone another day and told the bankers and they said, no one ever says this, this. They, and I said, <laughs> I just really enjoyed it to, to talk about the company with people who really understand what we do. Uh, there's something that was pretty magical about that. So that's the big part is they know a lot about the company because they have read your S1. They've studied you. They've watched you for a long time. Now they hear the story. They know the space really well. So it is it's like intellectual jousting. It's like you're back and forth around lots of questions around the business, but they're thoughtful. They're, they're meaningful questions. And, and I just, I really enjoyed the process. So very, very different than VCs, which is just convincing people to give you money. Uh, and they're true. thinking about it from an investment perspective solely. And it's just, it's, I don't know, it's fundamentally different than, than an IPO. How did COVID impact your business, if at all? Well, 2020, you know, if you look at the numbers, we, we had a, we had a tremendous year um, in the, you know, even though there was a lot of suffering going on, a lot of businesses and didn't do well, we did well because we were powering a lot of companies that were, were essential services, especially in the, uh, the online commerce space uh, or, or mobile phones like, you know, the DoorDash example. 
Uh, we saw companies like DoorDash take off. So we were essential infrastructure to those companies and the company did well. Us personally and professionally, um, I remember, I think it was March 13th and March 16th of 2020, uh, when we went into uh, shelter in place, um, I think it took three or four days. Like we just, everybody's going to work at home. And uh, I, I think we were all trying to get used to that. Um, but in, in many ways, we kind of didn't skip a beat. You know, there's just so much work to do uh, that working at home, I think, was just different than being in the office because we were, we were an in-office culture. Now, you know, this was a dumping ground uh, for all of our crap in the house. And now it's turned into my office and this is my space and this is how I work and I, I enjoy it. What was the place I'm talking to you before COVID? Because I remember Stephanie at Orem was sitting in one of her child's bedrooms. You're sitting in an area that was just like a dumping ground. I'm just sitting in my dining room since I live in a two bedroom apartment for now. But uh, it, it actually would be interesting to see what these places actually were before everyone had to start working from home. Yeah, sure. mine was uh, my bedroom. I was just sitting in a chair in my bedroom and I, I couldn't come in here because it was literally piled to the ceiling with boxes and garbage. Uh, so I had to clear it all out. And it was funny, like when we when I started in this room, all of the paintings I had up, uh, my father-in-law was an artist and it, it looked uh, like I was staying in my, uh, you know, my, my, I don't know, my grandmother's house in Florida or something like that. <laughs> the, you needed a virtual background for a while. It just wasn't working. <laughs> yeah, we did that for a little while too. And I just, I, I didn't like it. So I know we need to keep it real. So one company that you mentioned earlier that you guys work with a lot is Square. And that was something that I remember coming up is that they account for a lot of your revenue, sort of a lot like um, when a firm went public People were like, oh, Peloton accounts for so much of their revenue. Is that a concern? Are you guys doing things internally to make other areas of your business larger so then they end up becoming a smaller percentage of your overall cash flow? Well, Square is a shining example of modern card issuing. They're a shining example of how products can be built, how successful products can be built on Marketa's platform. There's the Cash App card, there's the Square card, and all of the, the work that goes around that. We also power ACH Direct Debit uh, on the Cash App side. And our job as a, as a company is to go out and find 10 to 20 more squares. And, and we know they're out there. We're talking about a massive, massive TAM. There's $6 trillion of carded volume in the US, $30 trillion internationally, and we power less than 1% of that. And only two yeah. percent of our of our uh, revenue is outside the U.S. So, if you believe that you know everything is moving from legacy to more modern platforms around the world, this isn't just a, a kind of a North American phenomenon. It's happening around the world. You have to believe that there is a lot more uh, squares out there in the world. Um, some that exist today, uh, some that we know are the large you know financial institutions that are being disrupted and know they need to move to more modern platforms uh, and the companies that haven't been invented yet, where there's an entrepreneur in some country, could be a, uh, you know, some town, city, uh, uh, country itself, continent, uh, who wants to go serve their constituency with a new product. And to do that, um, they need to build car products. And we hope that they build them on Marketa. Now, I remember you guys mentioning other large customers, uh, but I'm, they're slipping my mind right now. What are some of the other ones that account for are some of your biggest customers? Well, uh, some names that I think 
listeners would know, Affirm, Klarna, Afterpay, Zip, Coinbase. Now, was Coinbase a big customer before this whole crypto surge over the past year? Or is that something that they saw a dramatic rise in volume? And that is the reason that they're one of your largest customers now? Well, I wouldn't define them as one of our largest customers. The fact that we're always talking about crypto, you know, El Salvador has legitimized it. Um, You know, the government is tempting to regulate it. This is the first step. This is the first step of applying a card product. And Coinbase has done that. So they give their users the opportunity to spend their crypto wallet at the point of sale using our technology. And when when did that start? It was it was this year. We'll have to have you back on to talk about that, too, because I'll be interested to see how that partnership ends up going out. And obviously, crypto, DeFi, everything is super fascinating right now. So one question I've started to like asking towards the end of the conversation is a company that you're super excited about right now. It can't be your own, obviously, but something (laughs) in the private space that makes you want to bark like my dog just did in the background. (laughs) Uh, and, and I do. I invest in a lot of different private companies. I invest in some within fintech. I invest in many outside of fintech. Uh, the, what I'm most excited about right now is uh, a company called Ojai Life Lab, uh, O-J-I, uh, and it's soft skills training. And hmm. I think we, we focus a lot as people on learning, you know, like learning a, uh, uh, a skill. But, you know, and, and we break that up into... Uh, IQ and then EQ. What we don't spend a lot of time doing is focusing on EQ and the skills needed to be successful uh, at, uh, at, at EQ. So Ohio Life Lab has a tool and a mobile app uh, that allows you to go through training and actually work with somebody, uh, an actual live person, to help you improve your soft skills training. Uh, I've been very fascinated by it, uh, and it's actually the the largest private investment I've made. Interesting, and that is that's something that you'd recommend for founders and other executives as well, because I feel like that's something, especially technical technical founders, kind of struggle with. Is you know you're not just sitting there learning code anymore. Like you're managing teams, you're managing payroll, especially in the early days. You just you wear so many different hats and everything. That having someone. That would help with something like your EQ, having an executive coach, et cetera. I've heard a lot of people say is super helpful. Is very helpful. And when you go and raise money, you need to have fire coming out of your eyeballs. And you need to be an amazing storyteller. And a lot of that is nonverbal communication. Uh, and that's you know really the essence of having great EQ is being able to light up, like getting that energy out and be able to be able to talk about things. And Ojai Life Lab has, has been actually fascinating for me as I've been not only investing, but digging into it. Very interesting. Well, we'll have to have you back again very soon, maybe after another earnings report or something, um, to talk more about how you guys are doing. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, though. I'm glad we could make this work. Congrats on the public debut. Thank you. Um, And any of our listeners, if you enjoyed this episode, go check out Marketa, do a quick Google search, M-A-R-Q-E-T-A, and don't forget to rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, wherever you're listening to this. Otherwise, we will catch you again next time. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Julie.